when we're talking about this beer, um, you know, Jump the Shark does spring to mind, but we're talking about the, the, the shark is some miles back in our rearview mirrors. And welcome to episode 442 of Brews News Week. I'm Matt Kierkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and I'm joined again. We've got the band back together. We have Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. Welcome back. Nice to see your happy, smiling faces. Good afternoon to you both. Hi, gentlemen. How are you both? I had to fly solo with a ring-in last week. Not exactly a ring-in, but I mean, Steve Brockman's insights are always very, very valuable. He's one of the... Uh, you know, very astute thinker. Um, so it's good to have him, but I did miss you both. He's definitely a, uh, Steve puts in a lot of time and energy for the brewing industry, that's for sure. Yes, and uh, hopefully it doesn't burn out because <laughs> this industry has a habit of not thanking and caring for the people that uh, do the work that people like Steve do. So uh, thank you, Steve, but that's not nearly enough. Um Anyway, does anyone have anything that you, you want to report on? I, I, I went to Paul McCartney last night. That was nice, you know, nice thing. Couldn't get a good beer, but, you know, it was nice. Well, Paul couldn't get a good beer. <laughs> no, I couldn't get a good beer. I'm sure Paul I'm, I'm sure Paul had uh, something vegan in his rider, um, something, you know, appropriate um, in, in, in his rider. But at 81, uh, I, I don't know. I had a uh, – I hosted a three-year-old's birthday party over the weekend, so it was raging. Did you have good beer? Uh, no, it was at nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> so it was uh, it was definitely not beer, but I can tell you by that afternoon, I'd uh, look. I, this is a whole new foray for me for those parents out there who've been doing birthday parties for years. Uh, third birthday, first proper birthday. Pretty sure I don't want to do them again. Not not <laughs> not a huge fan of hosting lots of children uh, and. Um, yeah, we had a Spidey themed birthday party. Very exciting. Uh, yeah, so I have no fun adulting experiences to share. <laughs> I'll tell you what I am excited about. You know, again, being very lucky to in in this industry, you get sent a lot of beers. Um, Ian dropped a a plain package, just a very plain, unmarked can, and un you know, a, not quite a silver bullet, but it was certainly a, a white label, quite literally. Um, that was a Japanese rice lager Ooh. last week. Um, that it was appropriate that it had nothing on the can because I would normally say, did ex- as Pete Mitchum used to say, did exactly what it said on the can. This said nothing. <laughs> and so you were able to... Nothing? It, it, it said nothing, but it delivered, it, it, it over-delivered <laughs> on its promise. So uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was lovely. So, but no, um, just literally before you guys uh, joined me, uh, I got a package from Mubru. Um, they've brought oh. back Hefeweizen, which is, it's, it's one of those beer styles that fascinates me you know german wheat beers for a lot of beer drinkers 15 20 years ago was your entree to um beers other than australian lagers you know either you went overseas or they were the exotic beers that you could get here and they were different and they were interesting and you could taste you know you didn't have to have a sensational palate to taste um banana and clove Mm. and so you thought oh i get this beer tasting thing um, and then Belgian wits were another um, example, yeah. both of which 
you know, after a flowering and you know, breweries like Feral launched on their wit beer. Um, you know, Feral White was its its flagship and they, they declined. So to have a, a brewery like Moo Brew that used to make a cracking um, Hefeweizen and bring it back, um, I, I need to read the notes with it to find out whether it's just a, a, a seasonal one-off or whether it's a, a permanent re-edition. But uh, very excited. I, I do love my, you know, foundational beers. You know, we always love going home. Yeah. And uh, to me... Yeah. Well, actually, on that matter, it's funny. On on Monday, I was a guest of Felons um, to try some of their new release, uh, the new drop of Barrel Age beers. Um, put on a wonderful uh, uh, lunch and so forth. And we were actually talking about Hefeweizens there and what happened to Hefeweizens um, in Australia because yeah, they used to be a, a lot easier to get and they're just not as common now as they were. And yeah, we were having a little bit of a de- debate around why uh, why that was because I do feel that particularly in Queensland um, yeah. they are wonderful uh, in our climate up here. But maybe it's the same as, you know, lagers were on the down for craft beer um, and now they're on the up um, as, you know, just generational palates and drinking preferences change. Maybe, um, maybe Moo have, you know, are starting the foray into the next round of what's next you know you have opened a, not a can of worms Sorry. but you you no 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 but it, it, it I, I was I was but um it will actually be that's a thread put a pin in that listeners okay. um because we will come back to that through a couple of the stories that we're looking at a couple of the results stories and uh there's a story that I haven't yet posted because the Cooper's results have only come out today and I've just interviewed uh, Dr Tim Cooper um, to, to, to drill into those. And there's some very interesting insights that I think, uh, you know, show, you know, one of these, when, when we talk about triangulating data, yeah. um, where the, um, just a couple of interesting data points that we can sort of look to for where the industry is shaking. But let's get on uh, and talk about the news of the week. Um, first up, sponsorship deals sees Coles Tinnies poured at cricket. Uh, in a move that doubles down on its private label beer strategy, Coles Liquor has signed sponsorship agreements with Cricket Australia and separately with Cricket Victoria that will see its Tinnies brand poured at cricket matches in Queensland and Victoria. The retailer recently announced a four-year partnership between Liquorland and Cricket Australia, and this week the Tinnies, Tinnies has been named uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, under the Cricket Australia deal, Liquorland will serve as an official partner across men's and women's international cricket. And, and we'll see the Coles brand Tinnies and Mr. Finch Cider poured at official Cricket Australia events and hospitality, as well as porridge rights in the public area at Brisbane's Gabba Ground. The Cricket Victoria deal sees Tinnies secure porridge rights at the City Power Centre at Junction Oval and cater for all Cricket Victoria official events. Um, just also note that this deal appears to supplant the uh, Colonial Brewing or CBC Co or CB. Co, um, that deal that was announced two years ago um, for similar porridge rights with Cricket Victoria. Um, I might, as part of that, just sort of roll on into the uh, Coles results as well because they're relevant. Coles said 22.5% um, of their revenue um, in liquor came from private label brands and they've got a huge uh focus on innovation, what they call innovation, as we said, that's like saying, how about my innovative shoes? Um, bringing out, uh, you know, 
a parade of new products um, and a lot of those are created exclusively for them under brands like Tinnies. But this is the first time that I recall one of the major brands taking its private label brands outside of the store um, and actually going large with wanting to create general awareness amongst broad stream consumers, which is really ratcheting up con- uh, com- uh, competition against their major traditional suppliers. Thoughts? Yeah, this one's not going to be popular with Woolworths um, because to me, I imagine, well, Woolworths would be, you know, thinking, well, look, this could have been us. But this is um, because the product is a, is a Coles exclusive product. Anyone that enjoys it at the cricket or wants to drink to be sponsored there, it's not so much probably about driving sales of tinnies itself, but about bringing people into the Coles stores rather than the um, uh, the EDG stores. Um, so it's a different thing to if another brewing company, which was could theoretically be stocked anywhere, uh, had sponsorship as opposed to a beer brand that can only be stocked and will only be stocked uh, in that in that one chain. Um, be lovely if it was an independent uh, brewer that had this, but, you know, hey, potentially um, uh, are Coles not an independent brand themselves? Um, now, where does that let them sit? Uh, maybe uh, at some point, Sabrina, you can put your IBA hat, a hat on and, and talk us through that, or, or we could ask the question, of uh, someone to do with membership. It's probably, yeah, I, I, I was hesitant to put Sabrina in that position given the huge Switzerland ground uh, in the middle of the, the two jobs. Yeah, it, it's, I find it is an interesting move because it is not a technically widely distributed brand because it is only through the through the one group. And so that's why I see it as a driver for Colts themselves rather than a driver for that brand. I would have thought that the ma- I mean that the major breweries um, would also be, you know, taking stock of this because when it when you look at these large uh, porridge uh, contracts at various stadiums, you know, yes, there are the independents at various places, but by and large, it's the big breweries. So I'm sure they're also taking stock of this and thinking, oh, gosh, what does that mean for me? Um, so, you know, I there is, uh, you know, with my, I guess it's not IBA hat on because this information is all out there, but, you know, there is a partnership arrangement between the IBA and Coles Liquor Group um, as the only retailer that's engaged with the IBA to put seals on you know, tap D on, um, you know, their website, put the indie seal on and do some promotion around indies and have agreed to stock all indie breweries and put the uh, in winner of uh, indies, retail them. So I guess there's this sort of, it's clear that Coles are making a big play. Uh, I think that's undeniable, but they seem to be doing it in a whole host of ways. Uh, we've talked about it previously. You know, they were big supporters of the Hottest 100 Gabs last year. They've subsequently made this uh, agreement with the IBA. They've now um, pushed uh, tinnies, as we've seen here. So they are making a play. It just seems to be in a lot of directions. 
Um, and if I but this is and, and to, to me and again this I don't want to put you in a difficult position. This is purely my thoughts. Is that motivation matters in in in, in these things? Um, you know, like if you if you're applying for a job um, and you want to appeal to uh, recruiters or whatever, you go out and get you know you create a you get involved in things that you probably have no desire to be involved in. You've got no passion for. You've got no but it creates an impression about you for potential employers. Once you've got the job, those things go out because you know it, 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 it's a mark, it's a self-marketing thing. You know, you, you promote yourself in a certain way, but you don't genuinely believe in the thing that you're doing. It doesn't matter to you. You're not invested in it. You do it to get an outcome. And my argument would be, and again, I, I, I see absolutely zero evidence to dispute that Coles is savvy enough to know that competition, um, you know, we, we've had parliamentary inquiries, we've had certain members of parliament um, look at them, um, you know, they, they, they've drawn the scrutiny for things like milk by saying, hey, we we love the Indies, you know, we, we love this these small little breweries, look at us, look at us giving them a, a, a sign. Meanwhile, they are not you know they're they're not investing in the growth of the brands they're investing in promoting themselves and using this idea of independence to promote themselves but because there is no sincere investment in the future and health of indies at the moment they're moving units they'll be dropped as soon as they don't they're building a uh, a brand that directly competes with these um, people, um, and it, it, it's it's a beast that has been fed by many craft breweries. We've seen a number of um, small independent breweries actually do, you know, collabs um, with the brand. I mean, how, how do you do a collaboration with a business that doesn't have a brewery or brewers or anything like that? It is just a brand, and you're just putting your label on to move a few units, but you're also legitimizing. The, 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 the tinnies it's very hard to criticize somebody who seems to be giving their support now look in saying all of that if consumers want cheap beer they want widely available beer that's you know that's fine and and and, and it, it, if that's what we see as competition is cheap and easily available stuff for consumers then these um, private label brands do that but they're not inventing anything they're not um, innovating in the true sense of the word they're not doing the hard yards to create markets that has been done over the last 20 years with a whole lot of investment by small breweries who have fired people's passion because they were small breweries these brands come in have taken the um, aesthetic of independence for their labels they take the messaging of independence for their labels. They adopt the styles that have been proven um, that other people have invested in. And then they set a price point without any of those, never having to recover any of those investment costs that other people have put. They are, are capitalizing on that. And in doing so, they make the marketplace less dynamic um, because businesses are going to close if they can't get, get access. And if you take a view that a healthy marketplace is one that um, has businesses vying for an edge 
and will invest in in a, you know genuine innovation and trying things and they're small enough to do that then that's another point of view and it really depends on what what you value and what you matter but I, I, the only other thing i'll throw into that little uh, analysis is just today um choice has come out and given woolies and coles a shonky um uh, award you know their uh, dodgy behavior oh, award cho- choice um, uh like choice choice magazine, magazine yeah so yeah. Uh, choice magazine because i went to choice liquor <laughs> No, 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 no. Sorry, the Consumers <laughs> yeah. Association have given Coles and Woolies a shonky, something that they've, I think, they've gotten regularly in the past for promising, you know, publicly their their their, their statements are, you know, down, down, deeper and down. We're going to discount. We're going to make your lives. You know, we're looking after you, and yet they're making record prof- profits. Um, and those two things, you know, you you, you can't deliver record profits. By cutting your margins, giving people cost of living increase, and also looking after your suppliers, some of those things are going by the wayside um, to 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 do this. And um, ultimately, if home brand products do strangle the market, um, or you know, take the cream that keeps breweries alive, um, then there is no competition. To, to keep them in check and prices go up. That's what inevitably happens. And that's what we, you know. So I think um, if we step back from this particular deal, I actually fundamentally agree with you, Matt, that the structural framework that um, sort of the guardrails or the sandbox that breweries and predominantly small breweries are playing in is, um, is not, working in a way that will support small businesses long term and you know a couple of things you know i have no doubt their investment isn't in the industry that's basically what i was trying to say yeah but also like this retail question of a retail duopoly is not unique to beer it's happening as we've discussed previously it's happened in a host of other markets Mm. if i was um big beer so um you know we we have uh, big beer saying there's no duopoly because of X, Y, and Z. Um, but I'm sure they're concerned to see the rise of beer, let's face it, that is not being made by the largest two breweries. It is being made by independent brewers. I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't even bother reaching out to the big brewers for comment on it because, no, they're scared. You know, if you shit talk the duopoly, the, the, the retail duopoly is so big and so powerful that they wield more power than the brewing duopoly. But that, but that's what I mean, right? So I, so I sort of look at it and go, it's a little bit like critiquing uh, crowd funds when you say entities are playing within the sandbox, right? But th- this is a sandbox that clearly requires government to step in and say this is no longer working for, for many of the reasons that you are, have articulated, Matt, Um which is that, you know, functionally these entities can price set whether they are, you know, meets the definition as set out in, you know, um, legislation around ACCC that says, hey, they're getting together and they're talking about this is the capped price. I'm sure that's not occurring at a collusion level. But the function functional reality is if you've got two dominant players um they do have the ability to say, and consumers, frankly, in this economic environment who are very concerned about how they're spending their money, and that is not 
you know, that's a structural thing that is occurring throughout society. They're looking for low cost, high value uh, consumers are, then, you know, the retailers are able to say, well, this is what we can sell that product for. These are the units that are moving at this price. And if you small brewers can't make it for that price, it's not going to sell whether we give you the spot on the retail shelf or not because we have a product that can sell at the price point that we know it consumers creates, are... It creates a fixed price point that, yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I think there are those considerations around what is the structure of it all. But it's a fixed price point that allows you to... I mean, unfairly may not be the right word, but... Exactly. Because... Well, they haven't colluded. Part of the cost of a product is recovering the cost of product development and you know experimentation and innovation and all of those sorts of things and these retailers get to get the best data in the industry to to give them the insights from other people's innovation other people's investment in the industry and industry development and then they just you know just very greatly simplify it so I don't get myself into trouble I acknowledge it is great but they just fax off hey we want one of those too here is our brand that we got some graphic designer to 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 to, to um, whip up that looks like everybody else's. Somebody still has to produce it, right? It's still beer at the end of the day. It's it's I would assume um, really high quality beer. Oh, it, it, it's it's very high quality. I, I, and, and and this is where I prefaced all of this by sort of saying, if you want good quality beer at a cheap price, and you're not invested in a vibrant dynamic industry that has a long-term sustainability and health. But we've seen with the milk industry what happens when the two major retailers use an industry to compete. Dairy farming is cactus in the country. And I think that's a good model for industries like beer to point to and say we will be in the same place if government does not take steps to change the playing field so back to what is the playing field that exists right now what does the future playing field look like and what do we think it needs to look like and you know i mean it's so so incredibly complex um and beer is not the only industry facing this but the last thing i would sort of say is you know we know from the uh, consumption data that came out a couple of weeks ago that you know beer consumption is down consumer preferences are shifting towards wine and spirits spirits and rtds at sort of a fairly quick pace um and, and so you know retailers are going to be moving towards the products that are moving, the units that are moving. And, and, sorry, and I'm not sure whether you're confirming my point or making my point um, <laughs> for me, but this is the thing. If you're not in, and, and it, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's the same issue that I've raised about brewers that see themselves as multi beverage. Um, they will just shift production to whichever thing is. I love beer. This is a beer publication, this is a beer podcast. I defend brewing. Let every other industry take care of itself. I want to see beer flourish because I love the culture, I love the history, I love you know, everything about the industry. If you've you know once if retailers successfully um, you know put pressure on small brewers so they close, retailers have got no investment in the brewing. They, they don't even own a brewery. You know, they can just stop ordering beer from whichever of the breweries is making the, you know, the, the excellent beer if they want to. 
they don't care. They'll just switch to Seltzers or RTDs or, but they will just shift production to whatever moves units for them, leaving behind a smoking crater of an industry because they've got no investment in it. And that goes back to my initial point that it depends on what your motivation is. If craft beer is the flavor of the month, sure, we'll sell craft beer. Then when the market matures, we will find a way to create our own innovation and do the stuff that we want to by getting it made for us. And then we'll move on when something else comes along. And to me, because of the frame of reference that I'm looking through as someone who just loves the brewing industry, that to me is you know cancerous. Can I give you an example that is not that is in my mind analogous, but not um, Twitter. <laughs> so people create social media followings, and they don't own those followers when those followers exist on a platform that's owned by somebody else. So. I'm now dedicated to threads because I was dedi- I was dedicated to Twitter and everybody's moving across, oh, I've lost my 30,000 followers, oh, I've lost my half a million followers, blah, blah, blah. Well, they weren't your followers because what folks have realised is they never owned the thing that they relied upon to make them money. They didn't own those customers. They just got to transact over a free platform that then they could derive some income through their website or their whatever. The thing that they owned was the thing on the other side. And I think a lot about that with beer, right? You don't own the large retailers as your distribution channels. The only thing within your sphere of control is what you own and what arrangements you have in place and what contracts you have in place. And so, again, when when you're thinking about where different sized breweries have different challenges in this space folks that are nationally ranged and need to be nationally ranged given the size and scale of the brewery that they're at are in a fundamentally different place to if you're small and you're ranged in one of your local stores and that's where you want to be you know your needs and the conversation that's being had are totally different so I think you know, folks just need to always think in retail, like shelf space is always going to be competitive. The cost of getting shelf space, be it in these two retailers and indie retailers anywhere is always going to be competitive, just like getting tap space is competitive. We grew to a space where there were so many small breweries competing for a very small segment of the pie due to large breweries. We've now got uh, retailers playing in that same space as well um it's a challenge and it's going to be a really big challenge for their foreseeable future um unless something fundamental happens to it's change going to keep the happening market in the, but yeah uh, in the current um you know business market yeah in, exactly uh, unless unless somebody unless government in intervenes limits, yeah right uh, which, anyway. um and so I just think what that says is if you're thinking about your business model and you're looking at restructuring and and you're thinking about sort of where your sphere of control is and what happens if somebody turns the tap off tomorrow, they're all things that you... If you've expanded based on these distributions, you are, yeah. You need to just think about all of those things when you're evaluating your business model. Ian, you're sitting there very patiently. Any additional thoughts? Uh, Yes and no, many and not many. Um, (laughs) Great again to, to hear, hear you guys bounce off each other and um, all that come up through through that. Uh, look, yeah, do remembering as um, one of you pointed out um, that this is manufactured too by by an independent brewer. Yeah. 
um, whether or not you regard Coles, the, the distributor, as um, an independent brewing company, but it is made by um, to a to a high quality by an in, independent yeah um, by an independent brewing brewing company. Um, so there is dollars back through our industry that way. But yeah, it's all those things that that match that as well. It's no um, uh, uh, investment into the the industry. Um, it's also part of a skewing, I think, potential skewing of the data that we see out of them, like in reporting the other week from from Coles, and with the same craft is down, but their home brands up. Uh, that's always going to happen when you remove craft line, derange line, so that you can replace them with your own brand. Craft is going to be down, and your home brands are going to be up when they're not when there's not quite the availability. So uh, that's something we probably should bear in mind for for skewing of of their data. And it is an obvious business decision to make on their behalf. You you know, we can rail against it, but what a business's job is in a capitalistic society is to make money. And if they can uh, do their research by by stocking craft brands, independent brands, um, and then going, okay, cherry-picking what they want to do, uh, as in what styles, what types of beer they want to have, what they want the flavour profiles for that to be, and how they want it to be marketed and presented and the graphics to be, uh, and then switch over to their product, which they can... Um, they then have to deal with potentially less suppliers uh, and they can have better margins on it, that's the most sensible thing to do. Oh, and, and again, for, it's great business strategy and, and, and that's where I come back to it's great business strategy and it depends on whether you're looking at it as a consumer, if you're looking at it, but, you know, it, it, it's not good in my view for... It, it, they're not invested in the brewing industry and they're not invested in growing the market share that beer has. They're invested in growing their market share for whatever they sell. Um, yes, exactly. And, and, and that's ultimately not helpful for the brewing industry. But look, I, I think we've gone round and round on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, great chat. Like a, half an hour in, we can move to the second news story. Um, <laughs> Southern Highlands Brewing acquired by UK Group. In one of the more interesting announcements of 2023, regional New South Wales brewery Southern Highlands has been acquired by UK-based Powder Monkey Group. The all-paper transaction with the Powder Monkey Group, owners of Powder Monkey Brewing and Powder Monkey Taphouse in Gosport near Portsmouth, will provide expansion capital for Southern Highlands Brewing. You'll also see Southern Highlands Brewing brew Powder Monkey beers in Australia and take advantage of Australia's proximity to Southeast Asia. As part of the deal, Southern Highlands Brewing owner Ben Toomey has also been appointed to the PMG board in the UK. As I said in the uh, in my intro to the podcast I did with uh, Ben Toomey, I certainly didn't have you know, in industry consolidation. I certainly didn't see uh, a small UK brewer consolidating with a small Australian uh, brewer in the Southern Highlands uh, on my bingo card for 2023. No, this one's a surprise to me. I, I haven't listened to um, the beers conversation yet. Um, I, with 600 or, or more, whatever it is, physical brewers in Australia, I wasn't familiar with Southern Highlands Brewing. Um, so I am quite interested to learn a little bit more about it. So I definitely want to have a have a listen to this. Um, and but it does seem one that's quite um, quite out of left left field. Um, watch this. What as I said many times, let's watch this space and see. There, there is an article uh, that that takes liberally from the quotes um, in, but it's it, it, it's hard to explain this one because it does sound like there is a long personal relationship between. 
um, the owners and founders of the of the two businesses, and it does sound like a way to make you know that they, they see it as a way to um, you know add to to, to their businesses. Um, you know, in, in in the way that a lot of breweries are trying to find consolidation. Um, you know, as always, uh, you can have doubts. You know, have questions about the the, the 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 strategy. But at the end of the day, people need to try things. It's that stage of the market, um, and you know, I hope it works for them, um, and and I hope that it, it comes off. And uh, you know they are trying something which is uh, very positive. That's what I was going to say, Matt. Like it definitely sounds very much like a, um, you know, I think this is going to be one of many things that we didn't see on bingo cards when you start to see, you know, what are people going to try to survive, right? What what are the new offerings? And maybe there's going to be one that pops up that for some reason nobody has sort of conceptualised yet and then it becomes the new standard. And we just have no idea yet. It's going to be a interesting five years and you know we talk about innovation in the beer industry but it's certainly going to be innovation on the business front that we are going to need to see a whole lot of over the next few years absolutely but uh, we will be watching that with uh, interest um sad news this week uh, new zealand's deep creek enters liquidation the carnage and and this was written by uh, michael donaldson so the the, the editorial comment uh, in this one isn't mine. The carnage in the New Zealand craft brewing industry continues with Deep Creek going into liquidation. Following the liquidation and sale of Epic recently, the Brothers and Brothers Beer going into voluntary administration. This is another hammer blow for the industry as Deep Creek was an established brand and an important part of the brewing industry, regularly winning awards. Derek R. Sam and Paul Vlasic of Rogers Reedy uh, were appointed as liquidators of Deep Creek Brewing. Uh, their liquidation comes just weeks after Deep Creek had put in an unsuccessful bid to buy Epic and just days after they announced an agreement with Christchurch Church Brewery Castles to share sales staff on the North Island. Uh, Deep Creek started as a small brew pub in Browns Bay in Auckland's east coast, uh, set up by McLaughlin, Paul Brown and Scott Taylor. Deep Creek sold the brew pub to move into full production brewery in Silverdale in 2019. The, bush, the business was split into Deep Creek Brewing Operations and Deep Creek IP with uh, I won't try and pronounce uh, my Mount Mari isn't uh, great the ultimate holding company um, things I'll say had a great chat with Paul Brown on Beer as a Conversation about three four years ago that I probably should uh, link to in the article um, and secondly yeah um, the only observation that I have apart from that it's tough out there is interesting to see how recently they were looking at ways forward you know as we're having just talked about um you know one brewery trying to find a way forward it, clearly the business was tough and they were looking for things that they could do that might give them a a, a, a lifeline yeah very sad to see um something that wasn't mentioned then but i believe i read in the article was um it, it looked as though things were okay but tight for them and then a major issue yeah um disrupted mm. cash flow majorly um so it's it sounds like that was you know things were tight but possibly through and then um that happened and, and, it, and it, it was a, a real disruption to them um very very sad to you, see um, you know how like i saw this and i just said to matt oh this one hit hard you know everybody's got their own relationships within the beer industry but uh, Deep Creek were big team players uh, in New Zealand. They were very supportive of the work of the Brewers Guild. They were 
you know, we had some serious flooding issues in Hawke's Bay and they stepped in, uh, this was only in the past year, and they've stepped in to, you know, help fellow breweries. They were, you know, made Deep Creek, Deep Creek with a K. So the Creek Beer won Best uh, New Zealand Beer at the awards a couple of years ago and, and remained their range of sort of fermented, so their Soleras and things remain one of my favourite range of beers ever. They were my sort of celebration beers. Uh, Hamish, um, their brewer, has his own brand, Isthmus Brewing, that he runs with his wife. And, you know, they just posted, you know, real big blow for Hamish. We're hoping, you know, Isthmus can can sort of survive and find its way through. Uh so many events and memories that I was at with these guys and it just, this one really hurt. Uh, and I feel so sorry for the team, uh, for all of their staff, for all of the investment they've put in through all the years to the broader brewing industry. Um, you know, Scott, it would, would be a familiar face to almost everyone. So I just, um, you know, I don't think this is going to be the last of, of ones that we see. I mean, to call it carnage is just heartbreaking, but, you know, we're going to see the same sort of, we, we're going to continue to see issues like this in Australia as well as New Zealand. And it's pretty, um, you know, they're all businesses and brands and those are the things that they're losing. But the thing that we're losing from the industry is people who put in a lot of heart and effort. And that's the bit that's really sad. And and I hope those people, Sabrina, and and I'm sure, and I hope that they're um they're getting the support uh, from from friends, family, and and the industry around them, people that have benefited um from what they've how what and how they've contributed to to our industry. Uh, moving on because it's very much is results season. Um, and better beer, the only bright spot for Mighty Craft. Uh, better beer sales. Continued to be the only bright spot for the beleaguered ASX-listed drinks business Mighty Craft as it released its first quarter update for the financial year. Revenue from continuing operations totaled $19.2 million, an 8.5% increase over the previous corresponding period due exclusively to continued growth for its Better Beer unicorn. Better Beer sold 2.2 million litres across Australia and New Zealand, an increase of 53% over the previous corresponding period. However, this was the lowest sales quarter in the last four, with the previous three sales showing 2.6, 3.1, and 3.2 million litres, respect, respectively. However, um, this was uh, the company noted that this was its quietest uh, traditional, if you can say traditional, about a business that's so young um, quarter. The company noted that growth was impacted by softening consumer demand across premium segments during the quarter, something that we've also. Uh, something that we've also seen uh, from Coles and Woolies. Um, and they said in particular, this uh, continued to impact premium spirit categories as consumers continue to shift spend towards a value-based brand. Um, or as we've seen from the major retailers, uh, shifting from full bottle spirits to ready to drink spirits. Um, Mighty Craft said while it expected an eventual return to premiumization, its short-term outlook was for the business's premium products to be hit by cost of living pressures, noting it would look to price and marketing investment. And I don't know about you guys, but I read that as discounting. Um, the company will continue to balance short-term tactical drivers, including price and promotion versus longer-term brand building investment. So basically gonna cut the price and try and flog some units. Um, the sale of Jetty Road for approximately 3 million 
uh, announced in July is apparently close to completion and expected to settle in November. The results uh, noted uh, for the first time a non-binding indicative offer for the sales of Hills Cider, um, with the business uh, valued at approximately $3 million and expected to settle in the second quarter next year. The Mighty Ponds, the Mighty Mooney um, Ponds uh, venue has completed its sale, netting $350,000, and no mention was made about the present state of the non-binding agreement to sell its Foghorn Brewery in Newcastle, announced back in July. I won't read the share price. It's, I was uh, just looking at it, Matt, and I was like, "Holy, wow!" Again, the, well, the, the, the share the, the, the share price doesn't truly reflect the value of the individual assets because their debt is so high. So there is so much debt um, on the books that you know, even if they got twenty or you know, twenty five, thirty million for better beer, um, which may they may or may not get. Um, it, a lot of that would go to uh, paying back debt. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the share price, price is, is bleak. As I open it right now, is 1.9 cents with a market cap of. Seven- 1.9. Yeah, wow. I okay. Know. So it has gone down. So, with a market cap of 7.289 million, and I feel like every, you know, once a month we do a. There's a story on Mighty Craft and we open up the share price and. Remember when it was sitting at four cents and four point two, and we thought, "Oh God, that's bleak." One point nine cents. Shit. Now that on on their debt, Matt, am I remembering right? Just within the last month or two, they took on a large debt that has to be basically resolved early. Next it was capitalized. Year. Yeah, yeah. It was it was capital. So yeah, I, I mean, they've cut costs. I've done a lot of things, but yeah, they, they are carrying a lot of debt, and because of the risk. To that debt, it's at a fairly high interest rate. I don't have those figures in front of me, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was extraordinary high. Short term, um, yeah, yeah. Which is what happens when a business is risky, um, and it doesn't sound like uh, you know. All, all we can do as outsiders is read the tea leaves, um, but the it, it doesn't sound like better beer has attracted anywhere near. The valuations that they were hoping for, um, they haven't closed their um, uh, equity uh, raise, their, their capital raise um, themselves, and it doesn't sound like the business. Well, there's been interest in the business, um, and the, the ongoing Mighty Craft ownership, uh, you know, partial share of ownership, is complicating for, for for Better Beer. The only other thing I'll I'll, I'll note is that you know, while Better Beer sounds like it's doing okay in New Zealand. Um, I saw on social media that Nick Cogger was in the UK holding up a photo of a contract brewed UK beer and they've, they'd floated that they were going to launch overseas and hopefully take the brand. Um, you know, I, I'm really going to watch and see this quarter how the better beer growth goes this quarter. Um, if if uh, last quarter was um, just a quiet quarter because the they're exclusive with um dan murphy's you know pinnacle drinks uh currently but i believe that ends at the end of next year um and you know as we've already said um the the coles and uh woolies are very good businesses um rapacious um in, in in their quest for profits and once they no longer have an exclusive uh do they have an investment in growing that brand that they don't that they no longer own um so that could hurt 
who knows what's going to happen there but yeah so uh it, it's very very interesting times quite apart from uh mighty craft but better beer has uh you know some interesting things ahead of it yeah that so that there's okay a few things matt um so the end of that could mean they'll they'll renegotiate some term and keep going on with with um uh Dan murphy's uh it's possible coles group might want a bit a bit bit of this better beer um action too um and uh uh we may see it move move across into into both, which naturally then uh, uh, EDG is not going to invest as much as you said uh, into it. Now back then on a few things, yes, um, them saying that it was their quietest quarter of of the previous four. Yeah, this is um, the quietest quarter of of the year undoubtedly, but they still managed to grow at fifty three percent, which is pretty. Well, but that was I don't I, and 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 this is where this quarter is going to be so interesting because it's the quietest quarter. Um, but that's also a significant, you know, that's the, the sales have been a third of what they were um, in the busiest quarter. Uh, sorry, a third less um, than the busiest quarter. And also that growth is against a year ago, the, the same quarter a year ago, when it was, an ex, you know, the, the, the brand was growing extraordinarily still and it's, it's grown since. So because it's not an established brand, we're, you know, it's very hard to, to go like for like. And that's where I, I think this summer quarter is going to be fascinating um, to, to, to watch and see how sales go. It, it, it is the quietest quarter. And interestingly in that, it doesn't actually line up. The, that quiet period doesn't line up exactly with financially, the way financial mm. is broken down too. So the start of this quarter is not a bad period. It's the end of this quarter is the really quiet and the start of the, the quarter we're in currently is really quiet too. And then we make all our um, our best moves come late November. Um, but then moving away from uh, better beer in that, I noticed the possible sale of Hills Cider for $3 million. Now that was purchased as part of the whole Hills Group, which comprised of Mismatch, Hills Cider, uh, what's the distilling brand with that? And it was was the property involved in that as well? So this is uh, Hills Cider, yeah. So it was part of, I think, Lot 100. Um, it was like, again, I don't have the figures, $45 million acquisition back at the time. It included Mismatch, Hills Cider, a spirits brand, but then there's also f- some freehold land um, and, uh, and, and, and a venue. For, for for memory, yeah. So I'm I'm imagining this whole hillside thing is just for the 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 sale of that is just for the for the brand. Um, looking at that the the price of of that, I imagine it's it's purely just for that hills um hills brand, um which which still seems a quite a reasonable price because uh, hills um I'm not big into the cider market, but it does have pretty good penetration. Um, from what I've seen. I just keep sitting here and I keep thinking, like we keep talking about quarter on quarter growth and why the market is responding so badly to Mighty Craft and, and you're seeing this in a whole host of other areas and you just go, I wonder at what point we're all going to collectively say we don't have to grow. <laughs> like here is good enough. Let's just let's just stay here, have our plan, deliver our product well, maintain our territory focus on if you own your own business you can do you've got the luxury of doing that you know like if if you sit here you know and you're happy with where the business is and you think it's sustainable you're buttressed um against 
you know, competitors because of your size and your scale and you're paying yourself a salary um, and, you know, meeting all of your costs and, you know, all, all of those sorts of things, then that is your choice. But as soon as you've got investors, um, or particularly once you're an ASX-listed company, you are duty-bound to, to do the right thing by it, and that, and that is growth. Well, um, it's long-term... Sus- growth or increase. Margin. It's mm. it's long term sustain business sustainability, and so that is where I mean there's a whole piles and piles and piles and piles of academic research around um, you know market incentivization and what it actually means for business, um, which is fascinating. But it, it is just this when we when we scale it back from you know ASX listed and we look at some of these other challenges and we keep thinking I keep thinking about businesses that are out there that are making tough calls now, mm. like you know what is you got to be really clear what the purpose of the growth is and what you're giving up to get there 100 but um, you know one of the uh, you know if you are looking at scale you know whether you think you need it for your business or whether your shareholders demand it you know I, I think one of the best ways to go about doing that is looking at your beer can labels because they are a billboard and you know it pays to advertise it pays to get your billboard out there and with beer can labels being a billboard, they are the way that you can talk about your business. So the advertisement that your customers can hold in their hand, and it's a genuine, genuine conversation starter. The label is providing a new voice to designers, um, so you can express your creativity on the can, not just in the can. If you want to do that, do all of that, uh, and get the specs right, or make to make sure your bottles and cans look the best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at au to see how they can make your brand sing. How was that? Great. Nice Seamless. Nice Nobody noticed. <laughs> Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed the ad. It's like subliminal advertising. It's a glass of water in a desert. Um, now, let me see... Uh, Given how we're going, and I think we might have a bit of discussion around this one, our Brewery of the Week is brought to us by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or do what I do, call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Actually, when I want to talk all things yeast, I catch up with Derek at a conference like in Saigon, um, which segues nicely into our brewery of the week, which is one that we'd actually put a pin in and then I forgot to come back to um, a couple of weeks ago when you were away and you had some thoughts about your brewery of the week. And so we paused it. Yes. No one noticed that we didn't come back to it, but I thought we'd come back. My um, So the brewery of the week uh, was Heart of Darkness Brewery in uh, Ho Chi Minh, uh, Saigon. And um, I went there on vacation a few weeks ago, but Matt was about to go there. So we thought it would be nice to kind of hold off on it. But Well, there was actually a discussion around your thoughts that it was just like a, because yeah. you'd, you'd said off mic, that it was just like a bar that you would find in Melbourne. And I wanted to talk through that and we would run out of time. So so the, my big sort of observation, um, A, I think they've just won Champion Brewery for Vietnam at the uh, Beer Asia Awards. So congratulations to them. Um, I had a really pleasant experience there. Good beer. Merch nicely on display, uh, safe for kiddo to run around on the side of a street. But it literally, I felt, you know, big graffitied walls, open air sort of outdoor seating area plus an indoor seating area. Staff were very knowledgeable about the beer. 
um, you know, core core range plus rotating taps. Some of the rotating taps had, um, you know, local influences in terms of the styles of beer that they were offering or the, the ingredients that they had in it. Uh, food offering was good, combo of sort of Western, Asian, but complement the, the kind of food that you would see quite literally uh, at a bar in Australia or a brewery in Australia. And so I said to Matt, it was really interesting to me that the model was essentially, you know, exactly um, uh, could have been a brewery in Australia. It could have been a brewery in Australia for all intents and purposes and and there was nothing, yes, there were these sort of regional um, flavour profiles in some of the food and in some of the beers, but the the general aesthetic, the the set out, the layout, everything was sort of really familiar Uh, and I just thought that was interesting because, uh, Matt, uh, you went and then did a panel at at uh, Seabrew on sort of what uh, emerging markets can learn from existing markets. And, oh, that's what I was going to I was going to come oh, back to because there okay. was there was a lot to digest. Yeah, so and, and that was what I wanted to park it because I, I got as, as I talked about years ago when um you know I went to Brewdog in Florence or something like that, and you're in this country that has an amazing culture. And in a city that has art and culture and everything, and then you walk into a place that you could be in Aberdeen or Brisbane or Sydney, and it's the hard rock, you know. Yeah. And that's when I started calling it the um, hard punk cafe, um, because it, you know it's kind of like McDonaldization of, of beer culture. Um, but I, I guess that's the aesthetic for craft breweries in a way. And having now been there, the beers are very, very targeted to local palettes and using local ingredients um and and that's i've actually got two stories of uh, that, that i'm going to publish um i'm halfway through one and then i'm going to do the, the the panel so i thought it was a great review um uh, and i was very interested in that i'm glad i got there because they do seem to be not just doing what i think a lot of australian breweries did oh this is big in america we like america we'll just do this and not looking at the rest of the you know economic um legislative and cultural differences um and asia seems to be you know, learning from some of the mistakes have made or at least much quicker in adapting to their own local um cultures so yeah so but i, I thought uh, it was a great um, heart of darkness and they've, they've got a number of bar uh, of brewery bars uh, around uh, vietnam yeah i've also spoken to them last year after so there was a great beer as a conversation where we spoke to them a little bit about that as well um, can I do a couple of quick um, IBA hat on shout industry outs? Of shout course outs? You can. Thank you. Uh, abusing my privilege here on the podcast. Um, one at the top of the at the top of the news, we did talk about Coles Liquor Group. So there's a whole host of um, issues the industry is facing. But if you are an IBA member and you're not currently ranged in your local Coles. Uh, store and want to be get in touch with the iba comms at iba.com.au um all uh iba members should have received um communication in the last week about the health warning labels um with a uh, template encouraging you to get in touch with your local federal member um if you haven't done that and you haven't read it, there's a great opportunity for you to get involved and, and help make the case there. So um, check your inbox. Uh, IBA members are about to receive another email, uh, as our journalists, Matt, around um, a letter that has 
gone from the IBA to the heads of all of the environmental ministries, uh, environmental ministers and heads of environment environment protection agencies nationally regarding national harmonisation of CDS. Um, and maybe we can come back to that, but... Uh, on the 1st of November, CDS uh, launched in Victoria. So um, members, uh, IBA members are going to be encouraged to get in touch with their state member members of parliament and in particular if you're in the electorate of the environmental minister in each state or territory. Uh, again, um, you know, CDS is run at a state and territory level. It has significant time cost admin implications for for both small and large indie brewers um and you know it's very complex to navigate and so the iba has done a piece of work in there uh and so that should be hitting your inbox shortly as well so um you know there's a lot of asks coming out from the iba right now in terms of um folks getting involved um but you know some of this sort of change isn't going to happen unless we advocate for it as a collective uh, for some of these structural changes. And so just, again, encourage you if you can make the time to assist that good fight uh, on both those fronts, that would be super valuable. So um, they're my uh, cries for the week. And also just one that is not IBA but is other is um, I think I believe the Pink Boots Scholarships uh, program mental sorry the pink boots mentorship program applications are still open so if you haven't got that in and you're on the fence about it apply and get involved that's it excellent excellent uh now very quickly we've got a mailbag um mailbag is brought to you by beer fans beer fans creates new fans for your brand start selling outside of the same pool of consumers increase your size of the pie it's free to feature your beer and merch on the website with beer fans being rewarded only once a new fan is secured for your brand if you want to put your brand out in front of more beer fans reach out to the team via email at join at beerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes and start your seven minute onboarding process um and there's a link in the show notes uh beerfans.shop forward slash join um now my it was just because I'd been I'd, I'd been watching it. Um, not, probably no need to rant too much, but I wanted to just acknowledge a little post in our Radio Brews News Facebook group. Password Saison for those who want to use it to show that you're a podcast listener. Um, eBeer, which we've been tracking the development of, has landed. So eBeer is this uh, beer that is e-enhanced. It uses magnetic fermenta- magnetic resonance or something to broaden the surface area of the water molecules to make them better absorbing and it's got electrolytes in so you know it's uh, made in a little brewery in uh, in in um south australia but somehow they've managed to do something that nobody else in the world has and uh extend the size of a water molecule to enhance the beer um it launched this week, $57 for 12 tins, $114 for 24 tins. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I think when we're talking about this beer, um, you know, Jump the Shark does spring to mind, but we, we're talking about the, the, the shark is some miles back in our rearview mirrors. I look forward to discussing it in 12 months' time. Yes. Good luck to them for giving it a try. They're going to get a lot of attention in a very short period of time, and I'm predicting that this one is going to slowly die. Anyway, and on that, 
That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been myself, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Cry Malt, Rowling's label stickers and packaging, Bluestone Yeast, and beer fans for the support in making this episode possible. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. 